Now, what we've been waiting for. But before, before we do, it's always nice to introduce guests. And it's great that we have Bruce and Julie from uh, another C3 church in Adelaide to minister to us this morning. But I also want to let you know, it actually goes beyond that. 19 years ago, when Vicky and I first started pastoring, yes, it's that long, started pastoring this church, we were young people of very little experience when it came to church matters. And to say that we were floundering would probably be an understatement. But as God would have it, I'd say as luck would have it, but I don't think it was luck. As God would have it, there was this couple in Adelaide who had this little church in, the Ad- in Nairn in the Adelaide Hills who met in a town hall similar to this. I, mean, I think ours is nicer. Um, <laughs> and they helped with almost every aspect of ministry that they could, which was basically every aspect of ministry. Um, and they have been, since that day, a constant source of encouragement, support, knowledge and just friendship for us and so apart from running their church and their heart is with their church in the Adelaide Hills but they have always carried an extra burden for helping us and this church in Nord and I think I can honestly say we wouldn't be where we are today if it wasn't for the influence of Bruce and Julie Williams so this morning as Bruce comes up I want you to give him a welcome worthy of somebody who has our best interests at heart and loves us like a brother Come on, give him a hand. Hey, uh, thank you. You guys are champions. Yeah, thank you. Come up here. Because uh, it's not just, we are a, a couple in ministry and uh, we love doing life together. Uh, and you may be seated. Do you want to say anything? You no, you can stay here for a minute. You're going to say anything this morning? This is Julie, by the way. Yeah. Um, hi. <laughs> um, yeah, just we started our church only about a year before that, so we were very young. Young? We were very young. <laughs> I'm younger than the other three, let me put that out there. <laughs> so I was very, very young. <laughs> we're, they're about there all about so much. Um, but, um, you know, yeah, it has been 20 years ago that we started our church, or coming up for 21. This um, We had our 20th anniversary last year, which was really cool to really celebrate 20 years of um, doing life. But we just love C3 Church. You guys have a fantastic church here. Um, it's bigger than what you see. You know, I just thought today through the worship, it is, it is way bigger then you know you, you you actually can influence a lot bigger than you are even now you might think you are influencing people but I just know I just really felt God said you know you've got to you got to stretch the tent pegs <laughs> you know uh, it, you've got so many places don't sort of think well we're just here and and the people that we connect with there's actually more there's way way more and way way more that you, people that you can connect with um, there's a broken world out there that need you. And uh, you've got something to really give, something that's on your heart to give to, uh, which is really fantastic. So um, just a little bit about us. We've been married 37 years. We've got three adult children who are married um, and five, almost six grandchildren, um, <laughs> which is really great fun. I'm enjoying that time of uh, our life and season. Um, uh, Oh yeah, we are enjoying. We are enjoying. <laughs> Sorry, um, but it's yeah, it's it's fun being uh, fun being part of C three Church. I love it. Uh, we um, 
We are so thankful to Pastor Phil and Chris for starting C3 Church. We um, came from a different movement, hadn't had a Pentecostal experience at all, but um, came into something and we go back and visit every so often. We were on holidays, different you know, other churches and go, oh, thank you, God, for Pastor Phil and Chris, because <laughs> we just love C3 Church. So you're part of something that's really, really important. We love um, South Australia. There are six C3 churches, which is fantastic, and, and that we do have such a great report. It's something that is very unique across Australia um, and uh, let me say just really let me commend your pastors um, I was, was going to say Phil and Chris again no, I was going to say Phil and Chris I got the Chris but let's go. Chris and Vicky I got the Chris wrong wrong sex but anyway so no Chris and Vicky let me really commend them because they have been so behind us and so behind South Australia um, C3 in South Australia especially um, and they've helped other people to get alongside so we have a, a really great network of pastors here they've done lots of um, connecting with all the pastors here and have really been you know really helpful for us we wouldn't be able to do things without their help and their support too so we just really love that what we have here in South Australia is very unique a lot of other pastors come in and go wow you know the connection um, that we have in South Australia is quite different to other states so commend yourselves for that because as churches there is that we don't get together a lot but there are different things that we can get to get to them and um, real men's coming up that's right we've had women's so I thank you for your support for women's it's lovely to see your faces and you know I might not know all your names but I go oh yes I saw your women's or whatever and, and Bruce is the same with men's it's just fantastic to be able to do those sorts of things together fantastic I won't take up any more time <laughs> thank you well, fantastic yeah, it's very, very cool. It's good to look around this morning and see lots of faces that are familiar, but it's even more exciting to look around and see faces that I don't know. And uh, that's a wonderful thing in church, to realise that the church is growing and that people are coming to Christ, people are joining in the vision of this great church here based in the moment at Norwood. It's been here for a long time. Uh, I just want to add some further thoughts to what Julie was relaying there regarding the church. I'm not sure those of you who've been around for a little while might know the history of this church, but I felt as we were worshipping this morning that uh, to say the word solid. And uh, we live in an era where a lot of people want things to happen like almost yesterday. It's like putting in the, the, the annuals in the garden. They grow up, they're a flash in the pan, and then they're gone. This church is not one of those. This church actually uh, was almost destroyed by a, uh, a foolish decision by the pastors that preceded Chris and Vicky by a long time. And I had a picture as we were worshiping this morning of this church with roots down in, in Christ, C3 Church, a Christian city church back then. And it was cut off, like cut off at the stump. And uh, what's miracle, miraculous about that is I see these pictures of these, these shoots growing out of this old stump. And uh, those roots are in the ground. They're in, actually in Christ. And this church is not just a little shaky new church that's kind of fledgling along. It's been here for 19 years. It's got roots down in Christ. It's got a solid future. And I heard the Spirit say to me this morning, this church is solid. If you're thinking about joining this church this morning, you're, you're hitching your wagon to a church that's solid. It's not going to blow over in a storm. It's not going to go out the door because what, it's here. And Chris and Vicky are solid people, um, good people to follow. And I want to encourage you... Um, the, just the word, solid, nothing to do with my message, but you're in solid company. And so, uh, anyway, that's enough of that. I want to get on with my message. Is that all right, Chris? Yeah. Is that okay to say that? Very good. Okay, is everyone ready for this? Okay, I want to ask you some questions before I get underway. If I could ask, and you can shout back answers to these questions, what's Sydney known for? Harbour Bridge? Opera House? The Harbour? High House prices? 
So, so Sydney's got a reputation. What's Melbourne known for? Coffee, trams, the MCG, the MCG, rain, cold. Okay, that's uh, what about uh, Alice Springs? What's that known for? Hot. Yeah. What about Darwin? Anyone been to Darwin? Great city. Darwin, sticky. So places have reputations. What about the Barossa Valley? What's that known for? Wine. That was a pretty, pretty convenient. Oh, sorry. What about the McLaren Vale? Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. What about the Adelaide Hills? I'll give you the answer. Chris Kendall marked. Um, so places have reputations, right? Um, this morning I want to talk to you about a place that has had a reputation when Jesus was on planet Earth. That town is called Caesarea Philippi. It's in the story in Mark's Gospel. We find that Jesus takes his disciples to a city or a town. It wouldn't be a city. It's more likely just let's call it a town called Caesarea Philippi, which um, this is going to be a big advertisement for if you ever can get yourself organized and save the money to do it, you've got to go and visit Israel one day. Uh, we did that in 2014 and it changed our lives. It's changed our ability, my ability particularly as a preacher, to come into a different mindset about different bits of scripture and this particular one is one that was changed in an instant by being in what was Caesarea Philippi, physically in that place. And so I want to bring a message around what happened for me there and to tell you that Caesarea Philippi was famous for something. And every person who lived in Israel in Jesus' time would have known this. Caesarea Philippi is up in northern Israel, and uh, it's about seven kilometres from a town called Dan. And those, those towns at the base of Mount Hermon were the extremities, the northern boundary of Israel in Jesus' time. Anything outside of that, the other side of Mount Hermon is into Lebanon, and uh, it's kind of like the dividing line. And so this city is, town is right at the top of, uh, geographically, of even present-day Israel. It's the top end of town. It's actually currently in the Golan Heights region. So it's in a disputed part of uh, that particular troubled part of the world at this point in time. And uh, I have read this story. I've read the, the town Caesarea Philippi in my Bible as a good Christian over many, many years. And it was just another town in a country I'd never been to that made no sense to me. be a bit like say reading in a story about let's just say Buenos Aires I've never been there I can read it and go oh, I know that's in South America somewhere but it's like uh, or San Francisco or New York City or whatever but like I can read it and I can think it and I can see pictures about it I might have seen a movie about San Francisco but I actually haven't personally been there and I'm sure if I set foot in it it would feel different to me than if I if all the things I think about a city like that would change when I actually got there and I found that to be true. We've been to, blessed to be able to go to Europe a lot of times in the last decade and have driven all over parts of Germany through Czech Republic, uh, Bulgaria, Austria, Switzerland, Italy and the UK. And uh, every time I touch the ground of those places, I'm changed. Uh, as much as I read about them when I was a kid, going there has changed my life. So my point with this is, Caesarea Philippi, you want to know what it was famous for? Are you waiting has anyone got any idea? Does anyone know what it was famous for? Well, there you go. This is a good Bible teaching session for us. It was called Caesarea Philippi, but before that it was called Panias. And Panias is named after the Greek god Pan, the goat god. 
And Caesarea Philippi was an incredibly sophisticated uh, temple precinct for worshipping Pan. And uh, so it got the name Panias, and it's now called Banias because Palestinians can't pronounce the letter P. Go figure. Palestinians don't actually have the letter P in their pronunciation system. So it's now called Banias. B-A-N-I-A-S. Funny, huh? Think about that. And then you find the history of who called people Palestine first. It was called Palestine by the Romans talking about the Jews. Just a little bit of history thrown in there, just to kind of, anyway, it's an interesting part of the world. So Pan, the temple of Pan. It wasn't like a big temple with big pillars. It was kind of a, an interesting place. Let me put a, can we put that first picture up? That's what it looked like by an artist's impression around the time when Jesus might have visited it. Uh, probably built, some of that stuff was actually built after his time, but that's roughly it. Um, uh, okay, the temple on the left is to Zeus, I think, uh, that was built after Jesus' time. But behind that, you can see a dark kind of, looks like a cave in the side of the hill. Let's bring up the next slide. That's that cave. Now, that cave is, doesn't look very big. It's a bit hard to give you a context of the size. Let's have a little look at the next one. Okay, that's on the extreme left there. That's us standing in that precinct where, if we map back to the first slide, we'll see that um, in the middle there between the two temple colonnades, there's that little platform in there. Okay, on the right is a courtyard. Those little uh, alcoves dug into the side of the hill are to put gods into, as in statue idols for worshipping. And on the far right there, that, that wider section with the goats on the right-hand side, that's dancing goats, is a dance... Uh, dancing goats yeah and that's where the people worship Pan uh, it was an extremely carnal place Pan is uh, uh, from which the word panic is derived um, he's the god of fertility there's a whole lot of things about him you can read about Greek mythology and do your own research on Pan but uh, on the top platform at the back right hand side there you can see this the ruin of that today is still there and there are a whole lot of crypts where they buried the bones of the goats because they were sacred to them. And so there's these boat, goat bones buried on top of that thing. Eh? And uh, one of the things that was the most uh, honouring thing that you could do as a person living in Caesarea Philippi was to bring up your daughter to be beastly, sexually uh, interfered with by a goat. So I want to say to you, it's disgusting it's gross, but it's pagan worship. What on earth is Jesus, the Son of God, doing, taking his dudes near that place? Good question. Like, what is he doing going into the center of a pagan worship cult precinct? One of the most famous ones in the land at that point in time. And he's taking his disciples up there. I'm going, like, what the? Let's go back to the cave. So we're standing on that precinct and the, our guide said to us, What's this, what is this cave? What, what do you think it's called? And we said, I don't know, it looks like a cave. He says, well, it's actually, it was known in Jesus' time as the gate of Hades. And with an earthquake, since Jesus was around, this cave has been filled in. Uh, it used to be a much bigger cave and it used to have a bottomless, like there are stories from Eusebius and other uh, like extant 
historical documents from Jesus' time, Josephus is another one that talks about putting ropes down into the backdrop of that cave and never ever did anyone put a long enough rope in to hit the bottom. of the. They got wet but it never went deep enough, went down into the water. Out of that cave flowed the biggest contributor to the water flow in the Jordan River and it used to flow out through that precinct when it was like it was. But since there's an earthquake, it's all caved in and the water flow has been substantially reduced and, uh, but it still feeds the Jordan River. Interesting. The Jordan where Jesus was baptised. This water used to have animal sacrifices thrown in that cave over the back and if clear water kept flowing out into the Jordan from under the rocks, the, accept, the, gift was, the sacrifice was acceptable to the God of Pan but if it got sort of clobbered on the way down and broke up and got all bloody and the water came out with blood, it was rejected. And so we're talking about the waters that Jesus got baptised flowing out of that. It's like, okay, just leave that one, just hanging with you. Anyone having a little bit of a mind? Like, okay, where are we going here? So, why am I telling you this? Jesus, it doesn't actually say in either gospel, either Mark or or Matthew, that Jesus actually went to that spot. It says he went to this, the towns around Caesarea Philippi. And that kind of gives me a little bit of comfort because I don't know that he actually went or would want to or what rabbi would take his disciples into a place that's quite as uh, completely opposed to who he is as that. But having said that, uh, I want to just take you through what I want to say this morning about this. Um, so Matthew's gospel goes on to say because Mark doesn't actually mention about the gate of Hades Matthew's, Matthew's, Matthew's gospel does so Peter's confession about Christ includes a play on words around his name in Matthew's gospel which means rock Peter in the Greek version of Peter is rock and there is mention of the gate of Hades notice it's not the gate of hell and that's a really significant shift for many of us that might have been brought up with Bibles that said the gates of hell shall not prevail because I don't know about you but that immediately put into my mind as a Pentecostal Christian 30 years ago that it's all about fighting spiritual battles with the devil and that's just so not what this came to me to be about when I stood in Caesarea Philippi or Bunias as it's called today. So I'm sure you might have heard messages around the rock referring to Peter himself and historically the Catholic Church according to uh, some scholars has spuriously claimed direct connection to him and the papacy being a, a lineage of the laying on of hands out of Peter being the rock that Jesus specifically mentions in Matthew 16 on this rock I will build my church. Others have postulated that the rock is a reference to the revelation that has uh, not come from flesh and blood and that is, it is how the church will grow and the devil will not be able to stop it. Um, so our trip to Israel forced us to see that the scriptures are written around, this is a really important point, are written around a context that is highly practical and earthed in real people's lives. And so this side of the cross, 2,000 years later, we are in Australia and other parts of the world so removed from the physicality of Israel. We're so removed from the geographical context in which this was written and for us the Bible is a holy book 
about God. And that certainly is that. Nothing I'm saying this morning is going to in any way or meant to in any way undermine that because I believe that still with, and always have with all my heart. It is the word of God. It is inerrant and it's uh, infallible and it is the thing. He is the one, the word, Jesus, that changes lives. And uh, so, but I want to say this about it and it would be this, that Jesus was a pragmatist. Jesus is actually very practical. He encountered people who were getting locked up in what was a religiously driven, and in our context it's politically driven, slightly different, but the same outcome. We have got ourselves painted into corners today with legislated tolerance, legislated whatever. Jesus encountered people who were being supposedly included because they were Jews, but they were excluded because they weren't following the rules. They weren't able to. And so people were being tied up in knots by the Pharisees, the scribes, and the teachers of the law. They're mentioned all through the Bible. He takes his disciples up to Caesarea Philippi and asks them this question in the middle of what could only be described as hell on earth for them in some respects. It's like, why are we here? What are we doing near this place? This place is bad news. And Jesus, I think, is communicating, there isn't anywhere that I can't go. There isn't any worship of any other so-called deity on the planet that is not going to be, while we're standing on that platform next to that grotto, at the base of Mount Hermon, I felt to me, and I may be, and I'm prepared to say I could be quite wrong here, but I almost felt like Jesus was standing on that rock himself. He says, on this rock, on this rock, this pagan temple... I'm standing and I will build my church, not on top of it as roots, but on top of it as it'll never overcome. There isn't one religious tradition on planet Earth. There isn't any place of faith or faith-based lifestyle or religious perspective over which the gospel cannot triumph. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I give you the keys to the kingdom. And uh, I've often wondered, well, couldn't you just go on and tell us what those keys were? It really annoys me. It's like this script is left hanging. Well, I've got this revelation. He's the keys. It's him. It's not a process. It's not a new Bible study. It's not a university degree. It's not a political course of action. It's not buying a new business. It's not being happy. It's actually him. The key to the kingdom is Jesus. And if we actually, which is what Peter said, you're the Messiah. So we could say it's a revelation, yes, but the revelation is only about somebody, him. It's like we've got to come to the point of understanding he is the deal. And whether he took his disciples into Caesarea Philippi actually or not, I don't care. But I know this, he wasn't afraid to go near that place. He wasn't afraid to be offensive. Can you imagine what the scribes and Pharisees down in Jerusalem would have been? This guy calls himself a rabbi and he's got followers, disciples, and he's taking them into a pagan temple precinct. Unclean, 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 unclean. Jesus is going, on this rock, it might be Revelation. It might be Peter, but it might be really practical. He might have been standing on a rock right in the middle of what he shouldn't have been standing in and said, you know what, even this joint, as bloodied and as disgusting and defiled and so 
opposed to the whole nature of my Father in heaven, no matter what you throw at me, I can put my foot on any rock and say, I will build my church. There's no city on earth where the church can't be established. There's no place on the planet where Jesus' footsteps can't be made by Christians who are prepared to put their trust in him. There's no place we need fear go. There's lots of places that are fearful. There's lots of places we could go where we could lose our life, but that's never going to stop the church from triumphing. It's never going to stop the gospel from overcoming uh, evil. It's never going to stop the gospel from triumphing full stop. And the gate of Hades? Well, let me ex- let's just explain what that is. We live, again, post-Jesus, post-Greco-Roman worldview. The Greeks had a very dualistic view of life. There's, there's this scummy place called Earth, and then there's the higher plane called the heavens. Greek philosophy, again, you can just start it. That's just my simplified uh, idiot version of that okay very dualistic there's kind of you have a very dualistic thing everything that's good from god everything's bad from the devil a kind of theology of good and bad um jews historically don't think that they just think everything comes from god okay there is no real reference to the devil in the old testament whatsoever the book of job talks about satan and you've got to be very careful with the language in the book of Job because it's actually the Satan, uh, meaning the accuser. The accuser goes into God's presence to plead his case to give Job a hard time. Anyway, I haven't got time to go into that one this morning. Um, so Jewish theology is way more interested in the bigness of God and almost ignoring, not to say that things aren't evil or bad, but it's not personified. Jesus um, lived with that mindset. I put it to you. Um, not to say that there weren't people that were demonized he cast out devils there's no doubt about that so again i'm not saying that those things are not real but what i'm saying is let's just pull back from spiritualizing everything and realize that jesus offer of salvation is very practical it's not about uh, being set free from this that or the other only what he said is the gate of hades hades was the abode of the dead when people died, they went to Hades, whether they were a good or a bad person. Remember the story of Saul back in the Old Testament? He got into trouble for this, but he went to see and found a medium who he previously banished all the mediums out of Israel. And I think it's in First Samuel chapter about... Oh, did I write it down in my notes? First Samuel somewhere. I thought, it, anyway, one of his um, subjects came back and reported we found a medium there's a witch called there's a witch in Endor I thought I wonder where Endor is got my little Bible map out and it's it's not close enough to Caesarea Philippi to be a really good story but it's certainly in northern Israel okay it's right up between Nazareth and Caesarea Philippi so it's up in that area of the world and uh, he calls up gets this medium to call up the prophet Samuel who's dead And so it's a really weird story in the Old Testament, but it's actually a story that gives a biblical perspective of the Jewish view of what happens when someone dies, they go to the place of the dead, Hades. Now there's two sections to that as well, but the actual place is generically called that. Um, And so I'd want to say to you that what Jesus is actually saying to his disciples at this very juncture is that I've come to defeat death, which he did. We just sung it, that great song we just sang about the resurrected. Here's the victory. That's the deal. Whether we live in this life 
with blessing, whether we live in this life with comfort, whether we live in this life with freedom from sickness and disease, which we can because he loves us and he miraculously brings us through some unbelievable challenges in life. But the bottom line is that the gate of death is not going to overcome you. It's not going to overcome the church. People will die, but death as it is known, and as it was known to those Jewish disciples of Jesus, it is not going to have the last say ever again. I will build my church on this rock, and the gate of Hades, the gates of Hades, will not prevail against it. His church, that's us. Those who proclaim Christ are going to go on into eternity and not taste death. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Who's excited about that? It's like, well, can we have everything else as well? Well, sometimes we get lots of other things along the way, but oftentimes it's, I don't know about you, but my theology gets messed up by reality. <laughs> my theology gets messed up big time. When the Bible says that by his stripes we are healed, I see people that are sick, love Jesus and die. What's the deal? They haven't lost. They haven't lost. They're not with us anymore, but they haven't lost. They've gone to be with Christ. We can find ourselves getting pretty, pretty ticked off with God because we don't get blessed or we don't get healed or we don't have that breakthrough. I've been tithing for 20 years and I'm still a financial mess. Well, maybe there's other things that you haven't sorted out yet besides tithing. I don't know what the answer is, but I know this, that at the end of the day, if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, this story tells us unequivocally that Jesus is the one that we turn to who will give us the ability to never have death prevail over us. The gate of Hades will not prevail. It's not about spiritual warfare with demons. I don't think it is. It could be. I'm not saying... It, so don't hear me saying, chuck the baby out with the bath water and it's a case of either or. But I just want to put it to you. I think Jesus is way more practical than we sometimes let him do. He just was a practical guy. He found somebody on the side of the road blind and he healed them. He walked past other people that were sick because he was going somewhere. That's kind of like me. If I ignore you this morning, don't take it personally. It's like, it's just like the Bible's full of a real guy called Jesus, the Son of God. He's not, he's not dressed up in the Bible as something super different other than being what he was called to be, the obedient son of the Father. I only do and say what I see and hear my father doing is his, 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 the language of how he presented himself. He did things that were so anti the establishment. I've got to tell you, my gut feeling is that that season or a season like that is upon us now. We are getting hammered for being bigoted, for being homophobic, to being xenophobic. Every phobia under the sun is getting thrown at people who just put their hand up and say, hang on a minute, I don't actually agree with this. It's like you can't, I don't know about you, but I get really a little, just a little bit. Um, I just don't understand why people think that you can legislate tolerance. Because as soon as you make it a law, you're going to get somebody out of sorts. It's like, that's a no-brainer for me. So it's a nonsense. But we're going to run around and around in circles for a long time. I just say to you, don't be afraid. Jesus has overcome death. Um, I don't know if you've been following any of the news in the last uh, 48 hours, but Vladimir Putin has 
about to enact a new law in Russia that's going to make it illegal for people to be evangelized outside the walls of a church. And there's only one church, and that's the, the Russian Orthodox Church. And at the moment, the evangelical Christians in Russia are kind of going, well, God, if you don't come through, we've got a problem because we won't exist. We won't be able to actually bring people to Christ anywhere except within an Orthodox Church. And that's got problems. Anyway, wh why I mention that? It's like there's just unending pressure on Christians. I don't know, do you feel that? Or am I just sort of having a little rant up here by myself? I was like, I, I want to say to you, be strong, be bold, be courageous. Um, don't let anything put you off because Jesus, standing in the middle of a mess, you couldn't get any more mess. Have you got any other pictures? Did I have some others there? Or was that all of them? Oh yeah, so that's just one of the little um, alcoves in the wall, a bit closer up. So there's an inscription there in Greek that we explain who that who was put in there. Not a person, a god, a little statuette of some sort. And so it was just a, a phenomenal centre of, of worship, praise. You'd have to wonder how much blood was shed in that place. Um, not human, although our guide did say that uh, you know there are un, like there always are there are stories that there was more than animal sacrifice there. Who would know? The point being that it was just the centre of a very uh, cultic and pagan uh, worship centre where Jesus, the Son of God, decided to ask his disciples, who do people say I am? Oh, we're standing within a bees whisker of Pan's temple here. You know, who, who, who do you reckon I am? And Peter pops up, you're the Messiah. How cool is that? I wonder how far away from Jesus you might think you are this morning. Maybe someone's told you that Jesus doesn't like this, that or the other. Well, I've got to tell you, there's nothing this, that or the other that he's afraid to step toward to rescue you. Doesn't matter how big your mess is. Doesn't matter how out of whack you've let your life become or other people have led you into a place of a wacky life. Doesn't matter how dirty your hands are. Doesn't matter how dirty your mind is. Jesus is not afraid to step up to it. He's to step up to it to take you out of it, not to leave you in it. He's not put off by your humanity. He's not afraid to minister love and healing to lepers. Man, did that upset the establishment. You don't go near a leper. Lepers are lepers, right? No, to Jesus, they're a person who needs help. They're a person that he healed. Woman caught in adultery. You don't touch them, you stone them to death. Plenty of people in different persuasions of life think that's the thing to do to this very day. Stone the adulterer. Thrown at Jesus' feet. The law says she deserves to die. And you remember the story. He says, well, which one of you with no sin is going to throw the first stone? And it's like, that was not what the law said. That's not what the rules say. And Jesus said, well, the rules actually don't work. That's why I've come. And here we are in 21st century Australia, still making up flipping rules. <laughs> they don't work. They'll change things. There's no two ways about it, but they will not change the human heart. There's only one person who can change your heart. His name is Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him this morning, I'm going to finish right now by asking you, why the heck don't you? You might have every excuse, oh, you know, I've heard these stories and 
I'm a little bit worried about this, I worry about that, or I, I don't know. And I tell you, the Christian church is painted in a particular fashion in the media. I mean, I'm a pastor, and I really love watching movies that have got pastors in them, not. It's probably like doctors watching movies that have got doctors in them, not. It's like the, the media presents what they want. I'm just another guy. I mean, any of you, honestly, I was thinking this before I got up here. The only reason I'm standing behind this pulpit is because God's called me to do it. If you're not called to do it, don't do it. But you are called to do something. You're called to change planet Earth. You're called to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to people, not by beating them over the head. You should be reading the Bible and even at work, saying, oh, I'm praying for you, brother. It, like, that might be something you could say. But sometimes you just don't tell them, but you're praying for them. Sometimes you just don't say anything about that and you go out for coffee with them. You find out what they like to do. You say, mate, let's, let's go and get, or get a beer or a whatever. It's like, um, we just connect with people. Jesus connected with people, not so they would stay where they were, but so that they would come with him into eternal life because I give you the keys of the kingdom. Here I am. Come walk with me. I am the keys. In fact, in John's gospel, he says, I am the way the truth and the life. He's saying the same thing consistently, consistently, consistently. So what am I saying this morning to sum up? doesn't matter where you are. doesn't matter how messed up your life's been. doesn't matter how separated from God you might be feeling when you come to a place like this. I don't know about you. When I get into God's presence, I feel grubby sometimes. I become very aware of my shortcomings. I think, God, I'm so sorry. Lord, I, I am sorry. I've been an idiot this week. I've thought thoughts. I've held grudges. I've got all worked up about something that, that didn't matter anyway. And I feel kind of like, what was I thinking? But it takes me coming to church like this, hanging out with you guys, worshipping with a great worship team in your church. And I've got to say, you guys are doing an awesome job this morning. Really, really cool. Very, very good worship. It's like, I need to come into that so that I get reminded that he is who he says he is. And he is the guy. I am the key, says Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I don't know. Is anybody getting kind of a little bit excited about this? Because I am. I'm looking over here. You guys, life's good. Get ready to be blessed. Beyond your wildest dreams. God's got his eye on you guys. You guys are a married couple? Yeah? How long have you been married? One and a half years. Can I pray for you? You want to come out here? Is that, are you happy to come out to the front? Are you, are you uh, part of this church? You, good, so you're not a visitor this morning? No, that's good, because I don't want to scare visitors out the door. <laughs> so come, come, come. Now, why did I pick on those guys? No reason whatsoever other than I just felt like God said, just grab these guys. Come here. So what's your names? Victor. Victor yeah. and Esther. Great to meet you. I'm Bruce. Do you know, um, you both love Jesus? Yeah? You've been married for one and a half years. How long have you been coming to church here? This year. This year. You made a good choice coming here. Did someone bring you? Or did you find us online? You, you, yeah. Oh, Pastor Phil. Yeah? Okay, so you guys from Singapore. How are you finding Adelaide's nice cold weather? <laughs> it's good so far. So you... Sticking some roots in here in Adelaide. Yeah, well, I'm not sure why God's got his eye on you and why he's got me to say something to you, but I just do feel like 
this is the second time it's happened for me. I prayed for a, a visitor in our church a few weeks ago. I just felt like God said, pray for this couple. That God will, will bless you. You guys have been dreaming about something, wondering about something. I don't know what it is. But Lord, I pray right now for Victor and Esther that your spirit would move on them. And Lord, today that they would put their hand in your hand like never before. Lord, I speak blessing, courage, strength and boldness over them. Lord, I see you supplying their need in a financial sense, spectacularly. I'm not sure what you guys do for a living, but I see God putting his hand upon you for increase, increase and increase. I hear God say, do not be anxious about anything. Anything that's kind of boxed into a corner in your life at the moment, no matter what it is, might be a dream, it might be a decision that you're trying to make, whatever. I just hear God saying, don't be anxious about it. I've got it covered. So the Lord puts strength into their spirit this morning in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Blessing, blessing, blessing. Blessing. Does that sit on you guys okay? Yeah? Has it got a context that makes sense to you? Yeah, that's cool. Awesome. Keep these guys posted. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a clap offering this morning. Oh, it'd be good to spend a little bit of time, but we won't. No time ticks by, Chris. I'm, I'm, I'm being a good pastor. Because <laughs> Julie's given me the... Oh, are you? You're not? Okay. Okay. Be a naughty pastor. I might have to have a... I might need a water as well because... Is this okay? Yeah. I was a little blunt before. I actually found being blunt about people coming to Christ works Sometimes. I had a guy in our church that sat there. I fluffed around with nice, fluffy altar calls for weeks and said, if you don't get saved this morning, to everybody. Um, I don't remember exact, my exact words, but it's like it wasn't an invitation to give your heart to Jesus. Like, you must. And this guy said, okay. Gave his heart to Jesus. Because you know the invitation really, in one sense, bugs me. Because it, it kind of gives the potential for us to feel like we've come to him but the truth of the matter is he's come to you truth of the matter is he's gone to seek out and search for lost you're in church this morning you might feel like oh i'm here because whatever uh, i got invited or yeah i just felt like i should come or whatever what my question to you is what if jesus has been doing a whole lot of legwork and i assure you he has been behind the scenes in a practical sense, people that know you, praying for you, people that know you, inviting you to things, people that know you, or people that you don't even know who work with you that might be doing what I just said a few moments ago, they've been praying for you, and here you are in church this morning with a decision to make. Would you come to him? He's come to you. Would you come to him? If what he said, standing around Caesarea Philippi, I'll give the benefit of doubt, he might not have been in that town, but around that region, if what he said's true, and I put it to you that it is, on this rock, anywhere that he's standing, but it might be the revelation to you that he's the Messiah, 
and he's longing to hear you say that. He's longing for you to get a download from heaven like Peter did that says, you're the Messiah. That's the revelation. That might be what changes your, well, it would be what changes your life. Whether that's what Jesus meant when he said, standing on the rock, I'm going to leave that hanging for you to decide what works for you. But I like the practical Jesus. I like the practical Jesus that says, I'm going to stand wherever you are, whatever your mess looks like, and I'm going to build my church. And everything can be thrown at it, but I will prevail. That's your life. I'm talking about you. I want to put my hand in the Christ Jesus who said those words to me. Can I ask you right now, just to close your eyes, give yourself a little bit of time to get some of the clutter of life out. Do you want to say yes to Jesus this morning? Yes, you are the Messiah. I believe that. I'm not sure where that's going to lead me, but I'm prepared to say, yes, you're the Messiah. And I want to start journeying with you into my future. And I'm going to believe what the Bible says, that the gate of Hades, death, will not overcome my life. If that's you this morning, and you want to say yes to Jesus for the very first time, or you've said yes to him at some point in the past, but you know you've lost your way, you just know that Jesus is no longer Lord. You may have gone back to your old ways. I don't just mean having a bit of a bad moment in life. I mean you've really lost connection with his lead in your life. If you're in either of those places, why not say yes to him again this morning? You're the Messiah. Who do you say I am? Put your own name in that sentence. Who do you say I am? I would say you're the Messiah. If that's you this morning and you want to say those words, I would suggest to you you're ready to come to Christ, become a follower of Jesus. Best decision you could ever make. Anyone at all this morning needing to get that right with him. Julie to come up and join me for a second I'm just going to spend a few moments seeking God for some miracles for healing this morning um, we both just find that we pray for different things and we get different results because of the way God uses different gifts and language so I don't know whether on the spot Julie you've got anything you'd want to just call yeah I um just asking God then I actually straight away actually had a pain here which I don't have so anyone that has a pain in the back of their head right now or you actually suffer from that at all can you come forward is there anyone at all like that headaches pains no oh yes (laughs) let's pray okay church this is where we get involved We're going to ask the God who loves us to come and minister healing to Georgia this morning. Come. Come and stand right this way. Come this way further. That's it. Thank you, Jesus.
love of God to come. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, God's a good God, right? Amazing. Amazing what he can do. i got to love it when someone gets out of their seat. He says, I'm getting down the front. I don't care what happens. I'm going to get prayer. That's faith. And God moves when there's faith going on. Okay. Yeah, I actually, if you actually need some physical healing now, can you stand up, please? Anything physically that you need healed. Muscles, yeah, we need muscles. <laughs> you need healing of muscles, not new muscles. <laughs> you know, because we're a believing community of faith. It's not just Bruce and me praying. It's all of us here together believing. You know, Jesus died on the cross that we will be set free from pain, set free from illness, set free from sickness. And we need to go to that place together. And so I want you to, the people that are around these people to place their hands on them and for us all together to pray for healing, total healing. Lord, you know what's going on. There's um, at the back, Morella's at the back too. Some people gather around here. Can, can you go back to her? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And, and Michelle, too, at the back. A couple of people go back and place hands on Michelle. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Healing power come into this place right now. We claim that in Jesus' name. Your, your word that says, by your stripes we're healed. And we claim that. Claim healing. 
your healing. We see healing in those, whatever the situations are that each of these are in, Lord, that your healing power would flood them, totally flood them right now. They would see themselves totally healed, that they'll wave goodbye to the sickness and say, that's it, I'm not having it because I know Jesus wants me to be set free from that, whatever that illness is, whatever they're suffering from. And we came breakthrough now in Jesus' name, breakthrough in their bodies. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Power of God. Power of God flooding them. Power of God. Power of God flooding them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And the people of God said, Amen. Fantastic. Remember to pray for each other. I'm not saying you don't, but remember to pray for each other. Just uh, something that was helpful for us that we started doing in our church before we, I close and hand back to Chris. Well, I just want to invite you to close your eyes again. Um, you may know the person next to you on your left or your right. You may not. It doesn't matter. I just want you, without laying hands on them or doing anything weird uh, or, or yeah, creepy uh, at all, just, but just begin to pray for them. So the person on your left, just pray for them. So you, you, you don't need to minister to them. Just pray for them. Uh, just present them to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm just praying for my friend. It might be a spouse. It might be someone that you don't even know. The person on my left right now, I pray, Father, that you would comfort them. You would strengthen them. You'd wrap your arms of love around them. Lord, that you remind them of the power of your love. You remind them of the truth of your word. That by your divine power, You've given us everything pertaining to life and godliness in Jesus' name. Now I want you to become aware of the person seated on your right. Different person. Just uh, leave them to, to be, but just begin to pray for them. Father, let the light of Christ shine on my friend alongside me on my right-hand side this morning. I know I don't know a whole lot about what maybe troubles them the most. But right now, I pray, Lord, for the peace of God to rest on that person. Lord, for any anxiety that's debilitating, we say enough is enough. We pray, Lord, that uh, we would find ourselves being strong, bold, and courageous. I pray for the person on my right, right now, they'd leave this meeting encouraged and strengthened, knowing that there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are praying for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap offering this morning. Thank you. Awesome. Don't you hate it when you get a visiting speaker who comes in and messes with your theology? I was comfortable this morning, and now I'm thinking, what else is there that I have to discover? Actually, actually that it doesn't bother me. That I, I love that sort of thing. It really excites me that, that there are so many things that we can, we can get that change our lives. I mean, just that little thing, I mean, I've realized in, since listening to Bruce that I've been angry with some people this week. Rightfully so. <laughs> but I, I like his comment, things that don't matter. And when it comes down to it, they're things that don't matter. I've, I feel a lot lighter after hearing Bruce speak than I felt when I came in this morning. So thank you for that. And I actually want us to, to thank Bruce and Julie in a practical way. He's talked about the practical Jesus. 
I like to talk about the practical people of Jesus. So I want us to take up a love offering for them this morning, to honour them, to bless them, just to let them know that you know, they are people that we love. I talked earlier about this whole idea of if we're giving without love, then it is of no consequence. But I think if we can show our love through our giving, that's something that actually makes an impact on people. Now, I think that, I don't know whether we've got a, a ways to give uh, slides available for this, but if you weren't prepared and you want to give electronically, um, I think our, our Push Pay app has a love offering um, button or selector thing on there. So just click that. Uh, we, we will know what love offering it is. If you want to fill out a card, special offering, we actually have a love offering forms to fill in as well, which uh, Brendan has all of them. <laughs> so he's willing, he is willing to share though. <laughs> so if you need one, just pop your hand up, he'll, uh, he'll willingly share his collection with you. So I, I do, uh, from Vicky and I, and I think from all of us here, want to thank Bruce and Julie for what they've brought this morning. Um, if they weren't so busy, who, who, who thinks we should get them in more often? Um, right, so we'll see what we can do about that. But if you're ready to give this morning, let me just, I, I just want to, they've prayed for us. Um, normally, you know, we only pray for one set of extra pastors uh, on a Sunday service, but I, I reckon we can break the rules because I, 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 Bruce is a rule-breaking type pastor. So, this morning, I, I just want you to join with me in, in praying for Bruce and Julie. Lord, we thank you for their honour. We thank you for their love, and we ask you to bless them. We ask you to bless their family and their church. We thank you that you continue pouring courage into their lives to speak up we continue you continue to pour your love and your compassion into their lives to bring fruit into what they do and lord i thank you that you keep them well watered that they do not run dry that your spirit flows constantly and consistently in them in jesus name thank you lord amen